The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. And I want to, before we jump in, just want to simply say, Pastor Nick sends his regards, says hello. If you were here last week, uh, you heard that um, he, along with some other individuals and couples from our church, are down in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip right now, helping to build a school. And if you think that pastors, you know know what, Nick got Sunday off because he's on a mission trip? Nope, he's preaching at a church down there. So um, I want to encourage all of us, as a reminder, to be praying for that team. Uh, They'll be serving again all this week, and uh, we'll be flying home next weekend, I think, on Sunday. So So in your prayer time, if you could be praying for them, that would be awesome. But he started, uh, Pastor Nick, uh, a series last week called Connect the Dots, right? Remember when you and I were were younger, I was thinking about this, when you look at the screen, it's like the the image and you go from one to two and you connect the lines and then you see what it is. Um, I literally last week saw this graphic on the screen for the first time and had no idea what it was. So uh, that's actually the Grove logo. Um, But the idea of Connect the Dots is helping those that are in attendance, but certainly those of us that call the Grove Church home, we wanna help connect the dots about what it means, what our mission is, and specifically looking at our code, is what we call it, or our core values that help drive us in our decisions and in the culture, creates the culture of our church to accomplish that mission that Pastor Nick kinda uh, uh, explained last week as a foundation to this series. And I wanna repeat what that was in case you missed it, but my hope is that if you call the Grove Church home and if you've been here for any amount of time, we have simplified our mission statement uh, to a point that hopefully anybody could recite what it is. If somebody says, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to the Grove. Well, hey, what's the mission there? You'd easily be able to say it's three things. Love God, connect with each other, and serve, serve all. Okay, we're getting close. By the end of today, you're all gonna recite it with me very easily, all right? Yeah, our mission is number one, to love God and to help everybody learn to love God. And what that means is, regardless of where we're at in our process of understanding who God is, whether it's somebody maybe that you run into, and and you're, because it's not just here at church, but it's as we, the people that make up the church, are in our spheres of influence at work, in our neighborhoods, wherever that's at, that we can help people take steps to learn to love God, even if they've never heard of Jesus before, right? They've never heard, how can we help them take a step towards understanding who he is? We could also go to the other end of that spectrum, which is to help those of us in this church, and I know some of your stories as I look out here in the audience, that you've been serving Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, your whole lives, that even then we can still learn to love God more than we do right now, right? We will spend our entire lives learning to love him more. So our first mission is to help people learn to love God. The second one is to, it says connect with each other. It's the idea that we are in relationship with one another. You were never meant to walk this road of faith and life alone. Yes, the vertical relationship with Jesus and with God is the most important, but it's supposed to then flow horizontally out to those that we come into contact with. Does that make sense? And there's gonna be moments, I don't know about you, but there's moments I need encouragement. Even as a pastor, there's moments that my faith wavers. Can I be transparent with you? Like there's moments where we need people that can come alongside and say, you got this, this isn't the end. Whatever you're facing, I'm with you and you're not alone, right? We all have moments where we need that. You know what else you need and I need in moments? Somebody give us a swift kick in the butt of a challenge to go, come on. You shouldn't, you, you can't, you know, right? We all need those things. And so love God, connect with each other. We're in life together with other believers and serve all. And why serve all? because it's biblical. Mark 10, 45 is a key verse for us to understand that the Son of Man, Jesus, if you're taking notes, by the way, we always encourage you to take notes. And I hope it doesn't become white noise for you that you hear it, 
and you say, I don't have my notebook with me and I forgot it at home. There's a beautiful thing on our phones now where you can take notes right inside your phone, right in the smartphone. In fact, it's so good right now, my wife can make me a shopping list and I used to get lost on what did I get or not get and now I can just click the button as I go down and it tells me what I got, right? And here's why, I can hardly remember things I heard yesterday, let alone last Sunday, right? The brain in the business of life forgets but paper does not forget, so take notes. And if you're taking notes, um, the idea of Mark 10, 45, where we get this idea of serving all, is the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they believed that someday a Messiah would come, that Jesus would come and deliver them. But what they thought and what they envisioned when he would come, their king, their savior, is that he would be like they saw other nations with earthly kings, would come as a conquering hero, a political figure that would overthrow the Roman government in this moment, right? But Jesus came much differently, didn't he? He came as a suffering servant. Mark 10, 45 says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to be a servant. And not just to serve those that he loved, he also served who? He served the very Roman soldiers that, and, and Jewish leaders that nailed him to a cross and crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive even them for they know not what they do. What does that mean for you and I? That we don't just serve our spouse and those that we like, but we're also called to serve our neighbors and those that we might consider our enemies or we might be at odds with. Our mission is to love God. Everybody say, love God. Amen. Come on, church. Everybody say, connect with each other. Amen. And come on, say, we're meant to serve all. Amen. That's our mission. And our code is our core values that help drive us towards our mission. I wanna read this uh, uh, code that we're going to tackle today. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to tackle some of these core values. And I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. It's called learning. And here's the definition, okay? For our culture as a church, we're going to be learners. We're going to be teachable. And it says it this way. We will admit that we don't know everything. We're going to take risks. We're going to try new things. We're going to pray hard. And we're going to learn as we go. Right? First, we're gonna, foundation, we're going to admit we don't know everything, Anybody ever met somebody who thinks they know everything? And sometimes church can be the worst, right? You've got pastors who are just like, no, you theologically don't understand this or that or the other thing. Can I just be real with you? It starts at the top with Pastor Nick from him. I know he's not the one saying it today, but with our board, from the pastors to the staff, to us as a church, we're gonna admit, I don't know everything. I'm a human being trying to figure this out right alongside of you. There may be some things I know, about, know more about. There may be some things because of life that you know more about than I do. But at face value, foundation, we are gonna admit that we don't know everything. And then it says we're gonna take risks. We're gonna try new things. We're gonna pray hard and we're gonna learn as we go. That's the culture of our church. It's things that you're gonna sense, that you're gonna see throughout the days and weeks and months and years that you're a part of the Grove. And sometimes you're gonna love it and sometimes it's gonna rub you the wrong way because we're gonna touch on a few of these points today, but it's all toward pointing us back to accomplishing our mission. Does that make sense so far? Are we on the same page? If you have your Bibles with you, I wanna encourage you to open them up and turn to Galatians chapter two, or if you have a smartphone um, or a tablet with a Bible app, you can turn there as well. We're gonna be there in a moment. But what does this mean for us? Why learning? Why teachable? Why this stuff? What's the purpose of where it is? And where's the biblical foundation behind it? Well, we can look in Old Testament and New, so many different places about understanding why it's important to be teachable, take risks, try new things, pray hard, learn as we go. But we need to look no further, honestly, than the disciples, right? These 12 men didn't learn from somebody who learned from somebody 
who learned at the feet of Jesus. These 12 men learned at the feet of the master. They saw miracles, they performed them, they cast out demons, they did miracles together, right? These 12 men changed with, along with Jesus, the face and the history of the planet. And we can look at their example, and can I be honest with you? I know that I could ask the question, is there anybody that's perfect? And we all know the answer, no, nobody's perfect, save for Christ. But have you ever been in that place, because I have, where there, albeit maybe even subconsciously, there's times when I can just assume, man, man, you look at the heroes of the faith. Look at, look at Peter and James and John and Paul. I mean, they did amazing stuff. And they, you know, Paul rationalized and argued with Greek philosophers and theologians, which we still have the writings of some of them, right? But he went toe-to-toe about their gods and, and our God and Jesus. And sometimes, even subconscious, I can be like, man, they were always right, man. They got into arguments. They were uneducated men in some degree, in some ways, but they kind of shut down those that were like super intelligent, right? But they made mistakes as well. And in fact, we could pick on any one of the disciples, but today we're gonna pick on Peter a little bit. Can we pick on Peter a little bit together, okay? Because Peter was a big boy of the faith. He was a pillar of the movement that was happening in the first century. Let me give you some examples, not an exhaustive list, but some of the strong attributes or moments where Peter was a big boy of the faith, right? Peter was the very first one to admit verbally with his mouth, his mouth that Jesus was the Messiah. There was a moment when Jesus was addressing the disciples and he said, who, who do they say I am? Meaning the crowds and the people because there was a stirring that was happening about this Jesus. And, and some of them said, well, some think that you're John the Baptist come again. Some of them think that you're Elijah, a prophet come again. And then he says, who do you say I am to the disciples? Ever been in that moment in school, can you remember back that far for some of us where the teacher asked a question to the class and like, everybody's like, who's gonna be the one to raise their hand and take a shot at this, right? This is the disciples, like, who's gonna answer him? And Peter steps up and says, you're Christ, you're the Messiah, you're, you're the Savior that we've been waiting for. This is Peter. Peter, the on the rock, I will build my, on this rock, I will build my church, Peter. Jesus says those words. This is Peter, pillar of the faith. In fact, Peter's the one that has the vision in Acts 10, which by the way, if this vision and revelation doesn't take place, most of us in this room do not have grace available to us. Unless you were of Jewish heritage, remember, God was the God of the Israelites, but there was a moment when the paradigm changed and shifted, which allows you and I, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to be able to have that grace and freedom allowed to them. And that vision, that revelation God gave to Peter, Peter's a big boy of the faith. This vision he had in Acts 10, if you're taking notes, write that down, you can go read it, is he sees a scroll come down or a sheet that descends from heaven. And on this sheet is a bunch of different animals. And when he hears God say, take and eat. And he says, no God, I'm not gonna, I've never eaten of any unclean thing. Because up until that point, they were not allowed to eat certain animals because they were deemed unclean. And God responds to Peter, and that was the right Jewish response that Peter gave. No, Lord, is this a test? No, I'm not gonna eat those things. And God says something that changes the face of history forever. And he says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And out of this, he wasn't just referencing types of food. It meant that, that salvation was now allowed for Gentiles. Every man, woman, child, slave, or free, you now have accessible to you the gift of grace, the saving grace for your sin. It's a paradigm-shifting moment. It's Peter who God revealed this to. Let's pick on Peter a little bit though this morning. Let's pick on Peter a little bit because he wasn't perfect. I'm gonna give you a couple of references. We don't have time to actually turn to them. 
and read them today. We're gonna do Galatians together. But if you're taking notes, write down these references and you can go back and check these out. But I'm gonna give you some moments where Peter didn't exactly do stellar, okay? Matthew chapter 14. It's a story where Peter walks on water. And you might be thinking, Ryan, that's a great thing. It should have been in the first category of stuff that made Peter different than everybody else. And it was because the moment the disciples are out on a boat traveling from one place to the other, a storm is raging, by the way. This isn't like, you know, Caribbean perfect glass water and the sun is out and the seagulls are there and dolphins are, you know, this is like a storm is happening and Jesus starts to walk towards them. At first, they can't tell who it is. It looks like an aberration. It looks like, is that a ghost? Like, what's going on? As he gets closer, Peter's like, Lord, is that you? Lord, Lord if that's you, tell, call me out of the boat onto the water. And so what does Jesus say? He says, come. And so Jesus, or, or Peter steps out of the boat and walks towards Jesus. And he takes a few steps. And this is a miracle, right? I don't know about you. Have any of you walked on water? This is like a big deal. But then what happens in the story? He begins to look around and he starts to sink because he sees the storm. And his faith that he had to get out of the boat didn't sustain him. And he had a lack of faith and he started to sink and he calls for Jesus to save him. And Jesus kneels down and grabs him and pulls him up and says, why did you lose faith? Why did you not believe? Here's another one, Matthew chapter 16. You can go look at this later. It's actually the story of the Last Supper, right? And this is the moment where we get the, the sacrament uh, of taking communion that we did together this morning. So last time that Jesus is with his disciples. And it's in this moment that he does communion, and then he also goes on to, to foreshadow and prophesy about what's to happen to him, because they had no idea. And he uses language that they don't understand. He says things like, you know, the temple is gonna be destroyed and raised in three days. And they thought that he was talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. That would be impossible to tear down and also very much more impossible to build up in three days. But he was referencing himself. And at some point, he's clarifying what's gonna happen to him. He's gonna be arrested. And Peter pulls him aside. And what does Peter say? Peter rebukes him. Peter says, Jesus, don't say this. This is not, I will never let this happen to you. And the biggest verbal correction, or what I call a verbal slap, happens in this moment. What does Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why does he say this to Peter? He says, your, your mind is on things of this world. Your mind is not on things of God and of heaven. What I'm about to have to go through is going to happen so that all mankind can have grace and salvation, and I can overcome sin and death forever. But you're tempting me to not have to go through this, even if it's with good intention. Can I be honest? The Bible does not clarify us Peter's thoughts in that moment. I can't wait to get to heaven to go, Peter, what are you thinking in that moment, bro? Because on some of us, we could be like, why is Jesus, I mean, I would hope my boy would stand up for me and come, he's got my back. Maybe it was that he really loved Jesus and wanted to save him. We don't know necessarily. What if there's a possibility that he had pride in him? Maybe there was a little bit of mix of both. Jesus is a big deal, which vis-a-vis -vis makes me a big deal. I'm one of the entourage with Jesus. If he goes away, this all goes away and nobody knows, you know what I mean? Who knows what he's thinking? But Jesus gives him a correction and says, you don't have the mind of heaven or what's happening. You only have it of earth. Get behind me. Here's another one, Matthew 26. It's the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus has just prayed alone and the disciples are waiting for him. And Jesus comes out from prayer finds his disciples sleeping, like, man, can't you guys even hang with me for a few hours, like on my darkest moment? And then Judas comes, which was another prophecy fulfillment that he had foreshadowed, and he had said what would happen during the Last Supper is that one would betray him. And Judas comes with the high priest and, and his entourage and his servants to arrest Jesus. He betrays him with a kiss. And when the, the servant of the high priest goes to, to grab Jesus, 
Somehow Peter gets a hold of a sword and lops off the servant's ear to try to save him. And what does Jesus say? He rebukes him again. He says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Knock it off. Like this is, I have to walk through this. So Peter fails again in that moment. Last one, we'll read Galatians together. John chapter 18 is another fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus has during the Last Supper, which is to tell after Peter said, no, I'll never let this stuff happen to you, Jesus, over my dead body. And what does Jesus say? Before the sun rises, you'll deny me three times. And this is the story that as they arrested Jesus and took him, the high priest, to put him on trial, they're going through the cities and people are seeing it and Peter follows behind at a distance. But all of a sudden, people start to recognize him. He's like, hey, wait a minute, to Peter. I saw you with Jesus before. You were one of his guys, right? And Peter's like, not me. It happens two different times. Peter was not perfect. Pillar of the faith, did incredible miracles that you and I wish we could see and do, which by the way, we can if we have faith as small as a mustard seed. Here's the last one I wanna read together. I had you uh, turn there. It's Galatians chapter two. And this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. And it's a moment when he has an interaction with Peter. And I want you to check this out. Paul says this in verse 11 of Galatians 2. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat, while the Gen eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Now you might get lost in what's really going on here, so let me help us out with context. Peter has the revelation of the scroll or the sheet coming down that you can eat of these things that God has now called things that had been unclean before clean, was also referencing Gentiles and now salvation was available to everybody. So Paul had been spreading that word. People who knew Peter said, or sorry, Peter was spreading this word. Peter, because he'd had this revelation, was a big boy and a pillar of the faith. So the other apostles and disciples went along with it and they were teaching this. But in the Jewish culture, there was a divide. They were not all on board with this idea of it being available to Gentiles. Some were opposed to it. And some were okay with it as long as, hey, we're okay with this being for Gentiles now, but they have to go through all the steps and jump through all the hoops that we had gone through. Big one being circumcision, okay? And there is a divide. So what Paul is saying is, I saw in Antioch, Peter dining with Gentiles, but as soon as some of the men from the other faction who are friends of James, big boy James, half-brother of Jesus James, pastor of the church in Jerusalem, disciple James, sends some men, part of the faction that know they gotta go through all these hoops. Peter withdraws and becomes a hypocrite and Paul calls him out on it. Does that make sense? I paint this picture simply to say this. Just because we follow Jesus, this man, Peter, sat at the feet of the master and he still made mistakes. He still got it wrong. And he still had to be, be teachable. Does that make sense? And so when we as a church say, this is our mission to help people love God, connect with each other and serve all, we're gonna do this and we're gonna take risks. We're gonna try new things. We're gonna pray hard. And guess what? We're gonna learn as we go. Just like the disciples did. We're not gonna get everything right all the time. That's the culture that we wanna have here at the Grove. Peter wasn't perfect. 
The first portion underneath will admit that we don't know everything says that we will take risk and try new things. If you call the Grove Church home, you're going to experience moments where we step out and take risks and we try new things. That's a part of the culture of who we are. And can I stop for a moment as, as your pastor and also say this is not just for us as a church. I wanna challenge you, this is you for your life. There are gonna be moments that God calls you to step out and take risks. I don't know about you, but when I read the heroes and read about the heroes in the Old Testament and the New, what is almost a part of every single one of those stories? Moments that they had to step out and take big risks, didn't they? Big risks, moments where it didn't make sense, where everything that the culture and society would tell you is wise or unwise, you had to step out of it. As a church, we know that God's gonna call us to that, and I'm gonna tell you right now, for you and your life, God is gonna call you. It's a part of the ingredient of being a follower of Jesus. And it's not always gonna make sense. Let me give you an example of some of these figures and heroes in scripture. Moses, Moses going to Pharaoh in Exodus and demanding, let my people go. And they were slaves to the most powerful man on the entire planet in that moment was a risk. Noah, when he built the ark that seemed ridiculous and he was made fun of and took years and years and years and years to do. And by the way, God said, I'm gonna send a flood that the whole, nation, uh, the whole world is gonna die. And they hadn't had a rain in years, was a risk. When Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land, that God had promised the Israelites coming out of Exodus, coming out of Egypt. This is your land I'm giving you, but there were giants in the land. They were fearful, but Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take it. It was a risk. Gideon taking on an army with only 300 men was a risk. Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal was a risk. David facing Goliath as a boy was a risk. Any of the number of stories of the disciples casting out demons and performing miracles took steps of faith. When Peter was in the boat and Jesus calls him onto the water, was a risk. It was the impossible. Everything that Peter knew, don't forget he was a fisherman. His life was spent in the boat. The safety is in the boat. The comfort in the storm is in the boat. Stepping out of that boat is where the miracle takes place. And for you and I, if we remain in the boat and we always play it safe, we will miss out. It is a necessary part of our faith in Jesus to allow ourselves to take risks, to take a step when he says, not always, not all the time, not throw caution to the wind. And by the way, this is not code or secret code that I'm saying to you that we're gonna take risks as a church and try new things because we throw caution to the wind and we act foolish all the time. But part of our faith in Jesus is he's gonna call us to take a step sometimes when it doesn't make sense. But the miracle takes place outside of the boat, not inside of the boat. If we strive for things that we know can be accomplished only through natural human strength, we only take a step when we know we can make it or accomplish it, we'll never experience the supernatural. But taking risks as a church and also for you personally means that you might fail. We might fail. It's innate within the understanding of taking a risk. It wouldn't be a risk if there wasn't a chance of not having success. If you are a risk-averse person, you might struggle a bit at the grove. We walk in wisdom. We vet things out. But we also take risks. It's not binary. It's not a zero or a one. We're shrewd, we walk in wisdom, but there are moments we step out and we swing for the fence. Why? Because the mission is worth it. Best way I could say it is this, playing it safe is risky. If all you and I ever do, whether it's at the church or personal in our lives, is play it safe, that's the riskiest thing you can do. 
If all you and I ever do is play it safe, it's like we take our talent that God has given us. Remember the, ter- the parable of the talents? It's like we take that thing that God has entrusted to us and like the servant who went away, three different service, servants tasked with the same thing, given talents according to their worth. The last one went and buried it in the ground because they were scared of the risk and they knew that their master would be harsh and they were afraid to come back with less. But it's actually the one who was rebuked in the end. If you and I always play it safe, we're like the servant who buries the talent in the ground. God has called us to step out when he says and take risks. Let me give you some examples of ways in the past as a church that we've taken risks. Three years ago yesterday, March 11th, 2020, Eli shared the video with the staff. Eli uh, is out online. He's our online campus lead. He sent us the video of Nick and I, along with Evan, on our rooftop at a crazy time in history. Whether you agreed with what churches did or not is, is not my point, but we took a risk and we stood on the roof saying, you know what? They're saying we can't have church, but we're gonna do something crazy and we're gonna try driving church. He had no idea if it'd work, had no idea if we'd be the laughing stock, had no idea if the equipment would work. Can't just put up speakers on a roof and blast out. We, we're in a neighborhood. I don't know if you've seen around here where the church is located, but can't do that. So we had to find a way to do it through the radio, right? Almost like you go to the, the drive-in movies and they give you a thing or you turn your radio to a certain station and it didn't always work. It wasn't always perfect, but we tried new things and we took a risk. And did you know that we had hundreds of churches from around the country call us to figure out how to do it? So much that Eli and Evan had to make a YouTube video because they, they were spending all their week, every hour of all week trying to answer questions for people. We took a risk, it could have failed. We tried new things. What about the neighborhood? The neighborhood is a risk and something we wanted to try that was new. We knew that there are people in our community that will not step foot in a church for a myriad of different reasons and some of them valid. There are people that won't step in a church because they just don't even know they should, never heard of Jesus, don't know about it, don't even know that I should do it. There are some people that won't step foot in a church because they've been to church before and they've been hurt. Churches are made up of people who make mistakes and sometimes pain and hurt comes out of it, even if it's unintentional. But they won't come through because they've been hurt. Some people won't go through the doors of a church because they've been there before and there's so much shame on them that they feel like they can't come. And so we decided to say, let's do a community dinner off-site, not at the church, and just provide a free place that people can come and have a meal and those that may never darken the door of a church can come. And it's a risk we took. And the first week, I remember talking with uh, Curtis and, and Megan, who oversee it, and they said, man, we had seven people. And we thought, oh boy, there's a risk. Maybe this one's not gonna work. And the next week, there was like only a few more than that. And the next week, it was about the same. But eventually, as we know the story now, as it grew to the place where we couldn't hold that many people in the room anymore, 130 on a night, so we had to go to two different dinners. We're gonna take risks. We're gonna try new things. The Legacy Building Project The idea that we would say, you know what, we're not okay with running four gatherings and there's too many people that we can't fit everybody in here and we're just okay being the size that we are and we're not gonna reach people anymore. Can I tell you that every time a church has ever done a building campaign to widen their reach, there are always those that come in and say, risk averse or you got the wrong motivations, you just wanna be a big church. Well, why not just do more gatherings? Did you know the very people that, that, that gave to see this building that you sit in now weren't 400 people? We can sit about 400 people in this auditorium. And when they built it, they didn't build it for 100, which is about what they were. They built it for the future of what God might do. And they sacrificially gave to see it happen. And now you're here. How many stories of life change and baptism and salvation and children's lives being saved and students because people gave. But there were always naysayers that say, you guys are crazy. That's foolishness what you're doing. 
You wanna raise how many millions of dollars? You wanna do how many things to make this happen? But God calls us in moments to take a risk and move outside and step outside of the boat. And it's all about the motivation. It's to see life change happen. Love God, connect with each other, and serve all. And by the way, it wouldn't be that impossible to reach our goal if everybody was on board. And I'm not here to make anybody feel better, but I'm telling you right now, anybody who's a mathematician, if you started adding up a thousand plus people that go here, it would not take very much if everybody, if there was 100% participation with what they could do. And it's not just about finances or the building. It's about, we could go across the board with serving in ministry or being used in your place of work or influence. But if we all said we're gonna be a part, it would be easy to make that goal. If we all were on board with the mission, all understanding that God was calling us to take a risk. And I'm telling you, the stories on the other side is where you get to go. We walked on water. We saw people raised from the dead. We saw chains break off of people's lives. We found people that didn't have hope, found hope that they're not alone. I prayed with somebody this morning, right up here, who said, I feel like I've done too much. I'm not kidding you. Right here, after last gathering, I feel like it is no hope for me. I am beyond saving. There's people that you know that have that. And my question is, are you willing in your own life and in our church to take a step of faith and believe that God can do miracles? Playing it safe is the riskiest thing we can do. We're gonna try new things. I'm about to push some buttons here. Trying new things might mean that it's a replacement for an old thing or a current thing, a current ministry that you love. We give up things we love for things we love even more. As a church, we cannot just keep adding ministry after ministry after ministry. At some point, something has to go away and a new thing comes. But if we're a cruise ship, which many churches are, that's a mentality that says, no, but this is my thing. Don't touch my thing. Don't cancel that thing. That's my thing. My question is, we have a culture of a church that says, I'm willing to give it up if more people can come to find Jesus. I'm willing to give up my thing and jump in that it's not about me anymore. It's a battleship. I have a station to man to be a part of the mission that's happening. That's the culture of the Grove. And last but not least, the rest of that code says that we will pray hard and learn as we go. The first two things, taking risks and trying new things is work that we do. And I say it this way, write this down if you're taking notes. We will work as if everything depends on us and pray as if everything depends on God. We will not be a church that says, God, we can't do anything anyway, so you do it all. We'll wait for you to do the miracle. No, we're gonna work as if everything depends on us. God, I'm in, I'll step out of the boat, I'll jump in, I'll do what I can, and I'm gonna pray as if everything depends on you because the miracle only happens when you're a part of it. We're gonna work as if everything depends on us and pray as if everything depends on God. It's a both and, it's not an either or. I wanna close with this. To accomplish our mission of reaching people for Jesus, which by the way is the greatest mission on the face of the planet. Your career is your career, your family is your family, your vacations and the stuff and all the things that we have The most important thing is the mission. It's not just for me as a pastor, clergy, bishop, cardinal, whatever you might, it's all of us. We are the church. This city, this county will not be reached if it's up to the 17 of us that are paid by the Grove Church. But what can happen when a thousand plus people have the mission in their heart, believing that God is with them, called them with a destiny and with a purpose, you can change the face of a city overnight if everybody caught it 
and moved forward and believed in. It's the greatest mission in the world, but to accomplish it, we're gonna remain teachable. That's the code. We're gonna admit that we don't know everything. We're gonna strive to learn and grow and study scripture and understand things theologically. We're gonna take risks and try new things and we'll fail at some, we'll succeed at others. We'll pray hard as if everything depends on God and we'll learn as we go because the mission, love God, connect with each other, serve all. The mission, the salvation of your spouse that you've been praying for, your family member that you've been believing for, your coworker that you know needs some hope and needs a savior, your friend, your neighbor, the mission is worth it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you today. God, we thank you. We stand in awe that the greatest mission, the story that you're still writing, that somehow you decide to allow us to be a part of it. And like Peter, we're not perfect. We're gonna fail. We're gonna make mistakes, but that's part of the process. But the culture of the grove and as individuals that call it home, we want to understand that we will step out and take risks when you say. We will try new things and allow things to, to go away that need to stop, even though we may love it. We hold it with an open hand so that more people can come to know you. We're gonna pray hard. We know that it cannot be accomplished without you and the supernatural work of you being in it. And we're gonna learn together as we go on mission with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.